the Pro Wrestling Bowl. 35 short stories, including Harley Race, Ricky Morton, Tracy Smothers, and Tim Storm. Along with 300 photos from the independent scene. Taken from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Get your book today by going to WrestleVille.com or LanceByChance.com. WrestleVille, it's where wrestling lives. Are you a fan of pro wrestling, comedy, and combat sports? Then we have the podcast for you, because we cover that and much, much more. Do you like to debate with your friends? Do we have the perfect segment for you? It's the 531, where we take any given subject, break it down to a top five. From there, we debate it down to three, and then into that number one spot. If you want to get a hold of us, find us on our social media. Search Working Fans Podcast on any major social media platform. And if you want to find the podcast, search for us on any major podcast platform as well as YouTube. Working Fans Podcast. We put in the work so you don't have to. Everybody, we are live with the Combat Cast. It's the band they call Dave. It's Sheva Rooney. We got a special guest here this week, Mr. Dan Backley from Cage My IQ. Welcome back. And before we get started with that too, Chevy's going to tell us what we got coming up. All right. So tomorrow we have a special podcast, October 5th. If you're watching live with us, we're going to have uh, LFA fighter Mateo Gonzalez. That'll be our first fighter interview. We're looking forward to that. And October 15th, UFC Fight Night, Grasso versus Arroyo. And October 22nd, big UFC 280 card. That's Oliveira versus Makachev. That's going to be a huge card. We're looking forward to that one. And then the end of the month, October 29th, UFC fight night cater versus allen and since we have dan on the show and we're basically we're going to be doing a little collaboration we will be airing some of dan backley's cage my IQ's interviews coming up starting next tuesday i believe or actually after this one yeah, tonight tonight, yeah, 7 tonight. PM. Yeah, yeah we're going yeah. to be airing random interview with ufc flyweight miranda maverick yes Dan, how was that interview? It was great. It was nice talking to her. She's very nice, very insightful. It kind of started like a like a Instagram beef right after she got off with her in a Blanchfield, but yeah. Wow. Interesting timing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Dan, before we review this past weekend's UFC cards and talk about some news, a little background about you. What got you into MMA? I've always liked MMA. Like one of the one fights that really got me into it was the two fights matchup between Shogun and of course with him and Machida like I started watching around that time of course you know the Iceman and Ortiz like I watched those but I didn't really start watching it until Dana White took over and made it more polished and then I watched uh, their second fight between uh, Machida and Shogun and I was like geez this is really nice. From there on, I started watching it every week. I've always been a wrestling fan, and to me, like MMA is kind of like a different version of it. Yeah, got you got guys going back and forth. So I was like, let me watch this now, and then I just fell in love with it. I came with the podcast around the time of the pandemic. A lot of people were already doing wrestling ones. So I was like, let me be different. Let me do an MMA one, and then of course now I'm doing both. I'm covering <laughs> more MMA, but I'm starting to do a little bit more wrestling. I really like the the interview aspect of things. Can the 
interview the fighters, getting to know them a little bit more, a little bit of their tendencies, what they like to do. You know, it's a nice thing to do on the side. Is there an interview you were particularly nervous for more than anyone? Definitely had to be John Anik, man. It had to yeah. be that one. I got lucky enough, my buddy, he was a big fan of him too. He wrote him this big, long letter, email, and wanted to interview him. John Anik answered. And I was actually kind of helping him out and get started with like podcast. And, and he was like, yeah, let's do it with yours. And I was like, hey, and I was like, I'd be honored uh, to help you out with John Anik. So we had him on. Great guy. Very knowledgeable. I kind of picked up a lot of things from that interview with like just prepping for like prediction videos, going to learn fighters, and then just little things with interviewing. Now, Chevy, before we, do you have any questions you want to add to this or do you want to get right to the news? Let's get right into the news. Came out earlier this week, Aspen Ladd signed with PFL for the 2023 featherweight season. How you think she's going to do over there, Dan? Well, that didn't take long because what did it take? Like two days and then boom. Yeah. I, was like, I was thinking, I'm just picturing her against Harrison. And I was like, I could see her making the playoffs, but as soon as she faces somebody like Harrison or Pachenko, I think she'll kind of fall flat. I feel like right before that injury she had a couple years ago, she was doing really good volume-wise and being aggressive. She came back and she seemed kind of tentative. And of course, we know she missed weight two out of the three last of her last bounce. But the only one that she didn't was a catch weight with Norma Dumont the week after uh, missing weight. So it's like, now she's going to have to make weight or they won't even let her fight. So it's going to be, yeah, like, I feel like if she was, if it was two years ago, I'd be more impressed with it. But right now, I think she could do enough to make the playoffs, but then lose whoever she fights first. Do you think that this is possibly just a way back to the UFC? She t- she's there. She proves she can make the way and then she, you know, because she's a young, relatively young prospect. Yeah. Do you think she ends up back in the UFC? It depends on how much PFL is paying her. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a valid point. Know, because they've been bringing a lot of people on. And of course, you know, PFL pays almost twice as much more, if not more than that, than UFC. Yeah, They're not going to have the sponsorship like the UFC is, like with like Venom and all that, ESPN. But uh, PFL does have ESPN in the back pocket. The fighters are making a lot more. And all the fights are like, a couple of fights apart so you're you kind of guaranteed three or four fights and the three fights at least so it depends on how her experience is with pfl now i'm kind of curious because you have some knowledge about this obviously if you win the tournament you can win a million dollars if you win a million dollars you're making more than the ufc and i'm sure some fighters are probably brought in at a higher wage but across the board like you know are, are there, like you and i'm like the people that are like preliminary are they making just as much as the ufc is it comparable is it a little less a little more I think they're probably making just like similar to what a UFC fighter on the prelims would. I think people on the main stage, like if you look at Kayla Harrison, she's making probably each fight $250,000. And that's just each fight. And mm-hmm. then she still has that chance of winning a million dollars. So it's like right. she, that she 100% can, chance. Yeah, she can, right. she can, she can make a million dollars just with, four fights and then make an extra million dollars because of the brand she built. I know what's his name who just came in there. Shane Burgos. Not Shane Burgos. Marlon Marais. No, last year. He came in last year. Of course, his brother's a champion belter. Why am I not? Oh, Lima? Not Lima. (laughs) (laughs) His brother is a champ, but then they're doing the Grand Prix right now, but he's not in it because he's hurt. Oh, Pettis. 
Pettis, yes. Oh, yeah, Showtime, Showtime Pettis. I don't know why I forgot. He's making a lot of money. He has a big poor fight rate just because his namesake. Like a lot of those people coming from there are making more money going to PFL. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but like the normal people that are, like I would say coming through the Challenger series, which is like the Dana White Contender series uh, for PFL that they just started, they're making probably $20,000. They're just making just enough what they would in like a UFC event. But of course, if you get lucky enough to get to the playoffs, that's where the real money is for them. Right. Going into this UFC card last weekend, you know, there was all these rumors about why Dana was locking out the media and the fans. And Mackenzie Dern came out in the press conference beforehand and said that she heard that Mark Zuckerberg was renting out the whole arena. And then Dana came out and said, that's total bullshit. And then come fight night, the arena looks pretty empty, but you see Mark Zuckerberg and his wife sitting cage side. What do you think about that? What do you think about how Dana handled it? Do you care if Mark Zuckerberg is renting out the entire apex for himself? I don't care. I just, I think it's weird. Why would he, why would Dana White lie and just say, no, that's false? Well, unless there's a reason behind it, maybe he didn't want to like put it out there that he, like, he kind of got bought into letting him take it and got a lot of money when he's had this whole mess of not paying the fighters, but then he's allowing somebody to pay him out for use of the, of their event that they're about to perform at. the, the fighters like to fight in front of the fans. So they mm-hmm. like to do it. It kind of is like an energy boost for them at times. And who knows how much Zuckerberg paid out for, but it's like, it's like, okay, like he paid him out. Are we going to see this more in the future at the Apex? Or is this just like this weird anomaly because maybe he overpaid to have it for, for like a random fight night when it was supposed to be a lot better. But of course, uh, we had the main event and the co-main event drop out a month before and they had to like kind of patch it up right that's my worry too is this going to become a regular thing that the apex can just be bought out by billionaires you know obviously not super fair fair to regular fans as that can be an intimate setting to see fights and i know the seats in there are quite expensive as is but you know you're getting a special intimate setting so yeah yeah and chevy too i'll hit you guys with this question we got randy asking the comments two questions one do you see kayla harrison going to ufc or bellator at some point and also what are your thoughts on the bow nickel hype i could see kayla going to uh, to bellator i don't think she'll ever go to ufc i just uh, don't see it happening she's making too much money she has said in the past that it's all about the fighter pay and I don't think she has that relationship with Dana. I do think that potential matchup with Cyborg is something that she looks into. I know her and Nunez were teammates and that, and then they kind of ended on kind of like not bad, bad terms, but like indifferent terms. But I don't think that fight is as big as what it used to be since Pena beat Nunez. So I feel like there's a chance that it could be Belcher. But then Scott Coker has said that he's he's willing to work with other promotions to do any promotional match. So she could do that matchup and not even leave PFL. So, right. I think that's probably the most likely scenario because the UFC is not going to do that. They're, you know, going to want to sign Kayla and they, they don't even have a featherweight division. I'm pretty sure she fights at lightweight. So, yeah, uh, they're not going to build a whole well, division well, around her. She can move down to featherweight. She did that in the Invicta FC and she was able to use her elbows there because PFL, you're not allowed to use those elbow shots to the face. Oh, mm-hmm. And she bloodied up the opponent that she had in that main event very bad with those elbows. So she said she doesn't like to cut down the featherweight. Right. But she's right. okay too. Right. But like, I think the money's the, right. 
yeah. the money's right, and there's a lot more fighters at featherweight in Belcher than there is, at, of course, in UFC. There's only like five people in UFC in featherweight. It's right. They don't even have rankings. Yeah. I, I would imagine it's a situation where you fight your career as a lightweight in PFL, and then you're willing to cut down to featherweight for two, three big money fights. And those big money fights on the table really right now are only realistically Cyborg, and I would say Nunez. And, you know, there's always a possibility Pena or someone could slip in there. But you're really talking two, three times in her career, she would probably want to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do a catch weight between her and Cyborg to kind of meet in the middle. Because I don't think it would ever be for one of the titles. Because if, there's no world, like, way she could fight for a PFL one, Cyborg. And then if uh, Kayla went and fought just one fight in Belcher just to fight Cyborg, they wouldn't have her be for the belt i could see it be like a catch weight in between featherweight and light lightweight just a super fight yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. what are your thoughts on bo nickel i like him yeah, like we've seen him two fights uh basically one minute each he rushes in there he can grapple with you he, he can he has the power it's just that i gotta see him against ufc talent that's that's my only thing. And just one fight. He's already talking about one of the fight that came at Shemayev right away. And I'm just like, hold your horses a little bit. I gotta see what you do against somebody. Because you're being the regional scene guys. And you're being the guys, the two guys that you fought on the contender series. But it's a different step from the contender series to these fights. We've seen a lot of guys have great success. But it's like, I gotta see what he does with one fight though. If he does this in, in like his, against Jamie Pickett, because he's already booked against the night wolf if he can do that to him then i'll be impressed chevy you had an interesting theory because nickel's fighting on that darren till car that darren, darren till's got a fight too and you were right. saying that you win go ahead yeah they they had had a bit of a back and forth on twitter mm -hmm. and obviously bo called out hosma and till and hosma are friends so maybe he you know fights till who is you know fighting in a couple weeks Maybe he fights Till whether Till wins or loses. And then he beats, let's say, you know, in his world, he beats Till and then he calls out Hazmat. You know, I, I could see that being a path for him if they put him on the fast track. I'm with you, though. I would like to see him against UFC caliber opponent and hopefully longer than a minute. You know, we haven't really gotten to see a striking. I know in his first fight that was before the contender series, he knocked out his opponent in 30 seconds but i don't know anything about that guy so i do like i'm i'm really high on bo's attitude his confidence i love all that he's great on the mic i would like to see him become a star i think that he'd be a great star for the ufc but let's see where he's at for real i want to see him i'd rather see him not fight till but the till's opponent to plus i'd rather That's see him fight him because that'd be a, like a very uh big brawl with how they both fight because uh Driscus likes to stand in there just trade shots he doesn't hide his face he takes a lot of damage but he just gets in there even when he's tired he still throws at the 100%. same percent yeah at the same yeah. rate that he does when he's not tired so it'd be interesting but he does leave himself open to those guillotine so I, I've seen Bo Nickel transition from striking to like grappling so quick that could be a big thing in a fight like that yep I, I agree and I would actually favor Duplessis in that fight over yeah. Till. So maybe he calls him out if he gets that win. Yeah. And speaking of Chemayev. <laughs> yeah. So he seems to be, you know, there's conflicting reports currently on whether or not he is stuck in Russia. He went to Russia to visit some family and Combates says that his passport has been held and he's possibly being recruited for the Russian army 
against Ukraine. You know, his manager says that's not true. What do you think about that? It's it's crazy, yeah. But I I, I think he, I think he's telling the truth. I think he's just visiting family. I think with the with the relationship with the Dana White there, it's going to be easy for him. Even if it was true to get out of it, I think Dana White would be able to somehow get him out of it. With like you know how a lot of these countries are like, okay, if if you are like a like a fighter or like a sports athlete, sometimes they have that like loophole where they allow you to go out of it because you're making money and doing something to represent your country. And he and he represents Russia. He, like he is one of those in-betweeners where he's from there, but he kind of he's always been in Sweden and he likes to represent Sweden too, which doesn't have any bad will from Russia. And that that's where he trains. Of course it's him down till Gustafson was trained there. They're they're actually bringing in what's his name? Whitaker in to work with him for a little while. But it's like I don't see any situation where he gets stuck there and then they won't let him out. Right, I'm with you. If anyone loves fighters, it's Putin, for sure. So I agree with you. I think he could get out of it if that was the case. I also don't believe that that is true. He probably is free to come and go as he pleases. Just, just look at a guy like Habib. How many times does he go back? Uh, because that's part of Russia there, where he's from. And how many times does he go back and forth? Because that's one of his main training gyms up there. And then he has people go there and work with them. And all those fighters that come out of there, you don't see any issues of that happening. Right. Talk about a new segment that you brought up right before we went on. So Elov is out of his fight against Thug Nasty due to an injury in training. And you think Tipora is going to be stepping in? Yeah. Well, it was kind of funny. They announced this morning that Tipora was going to be the backup for, for the Elov-Mitchell fight. And then the other fight that they have planned. I, I'm trying to think of the other top fight that they have in the division there's another uh, fight that was just booked and he was going to be the villain for both of those is that the cater and arnold allen fight yeah yes cater allen and then evlov and mitcher and of course apparently training today evlov got injured we don't know the severity of it there's a chance that he can have to pull out of the fight and if so they're just going to slot Taporia right in there against bryce mitchell would be an interesting matchup yeah both i I i'm into both of those matchups really so either way i'm into that fight yeah your favorite i like mitchell on a lot of those fights i I think they're all great but i feel like mitchell's just very close to that cusp of being you know in that title picture there he's good with the grappling yeah i I could see better with mitchell with the striking and he showed some good things in the edson barbosa fight but to me there's like a difference between fighting barbosa who's more about the leg kicks than a guy like taporia who will stand up, grapple with you a little bit, but like he hits hard with his hands. Like you saw that matchup that he had in England, where he was getting he he was getting beat. He was getting beat, but then he came out there, hit the the combination, and just got the knockout there. And, and he has good takedown defense. So if Mitchell doesn't take him down, it'll be interesting to see how he can fare having to trade shots with Taporia. That was the weekend he got into it with Patty too. Yeah, yeah. I think also. If Tupora was to get taken down, he could probably get up too. If he doesn't get, if Bryce doesn't snatch onto his neck or an arm or something quickly, Tupora would be able to get up. So Bryce would have to keep taking him down. That would drain him for sure. Yeah. yeah. I still favor Mitchell by a little bit, but with how some people are saying, oh, Mitchell was a big time favorite. I think it's like, like, I'll give Mitchell like a minus 180 or something like that, something where close to where. 
He's still favored, but it's close enough to where it could almost be like 60-40. right, well, let's get into the UFC card. The Mark Zuckerberg bought out. As Miss Chevaroonie here posted <laughs> earlier. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to God. Facebook <laughs> fight night. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, we won't go over everything. I'm just going to highlight a few things. So I'm a big Brennan Allen fan, and he got a first-round rear naked choke over Jocko. Did you get to see that fight? Yeah. I, I was favoring Jocko going into it because he's really good at sp- keeping the space going in and out and then just just doing enough to uh, hit his out hit his opponent but Brendan yeah, Brendan Allen has that lengthy body and he was just able to just get to him and I was kind of shocked at that I was shocked that Jocko allowed that to happen because he's been so good at, at just defending it and it was it was good for Allen because he needed something like that like a win like that mm-hmm. yeah Jocko I think I agree with you he's very good at distance management and he's a very intelligent fighter he yeah stay safe and he'll keep himself out of danger while just doing enough damage to survive so and win i was happy with brennan allen's win maybe brennan allen is possibly a bow nickel opponent in the future uh, you know he's outside the top 15 what do you think about that matchup i could see it happening because it's right around like if Bo nickel could come in be picket it'll be right around that range so you could mm-hmm. easily book him against Brendan Allen along that. I would actually favor Bo Nickel in that one if he could get by Pickett just because I've seen Allen get kind of ragdolled and taken down a lot at times and Brendan Allen is good at the submission defense where he can be on his back but then submit somebody but then Bo Nickel's just he's just so he's just so good with pressuring moving forward and then just outpowering you that I would still have to favor him. Yeah I'm with you I think matchup wise Allen would have to lean on on his striking which isn't his strongest suit you know he can strike but he would probably get taken down at will, I think, in that fight. And then another prelim fight I was looking forward to, Elir Latifi got a decision win over Olenek, 45-year-old Olenek. Did you get to watch this one? Talk about back, like backwards. I thought that Latifi would be the better striker and then Olenek would be the better grappler, but it wound up being reversed. Olenek had a lot of success early with those overhand hammer shots that he likes to throw, connecting a lot with that. But Elir Latifi came in with a perfect game plan he was just gonna grapple up with them pushing up against the cage just wear on him wear his gas tank out and just avoid those big submission entries that he could get caught into he didn't allow him to do that whenever it would come close he kind of just pushed back and then go back into into grappling with them and he just basically wrote out a pretty easy victory there i believe it was 29 to 28 just because the early striking of Olenek but Olenek just couldn't get anything going with trying to take him down or get one of those submissions on him he had to resort to like i said those overhand shots yeah i agree i thought alir was very dominant with his grappling i knew that you know he could take alexi down but i was impressed with his ability to just stay safe you know he stayed tight mm-hmm. right in right in his chest you know he has no neck to choke so <laughs> that was hard i had to he, give uh, it up i had to give it up to him both of those because these are two guys over the age of 40 right now we're fighting because Latifi's 42 and then it was the last fight of his deal so and mm. we don't know if he's gonna come back or not I would think he would because I think he's riding a, a win streak now I believe two or three fight win streak after that win he's a guy like you know just a 
we were talking about earlier, he's a guy that probably benefits from like, you know, companies like Bellator and P- PFL being so strong. So he maybe he will see him in the pro. And he's a guy I'd like to see maybe in another promotion, you know, because how far is he going to go into UFC? And he can he can fight three different divisions because he, he's fought middleweight, he's fought light heavyweight, he's fought heavyweight. He can go up and down and he's pretty good at weight management within him because of the style fighting that he does. So I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to cash out on elite big fight contract with like a belter or maybe do like a one year of pfl where they give him like a hundred thousand dollars a fight which i could see the pfl doing and then see if he can make a run at that million dollars and if not at least he's gonna make three hundred thousand in a year yeah i agree with you guys i think that might be the best way for him because he's not gonna be you know a francis or a curtis yeah. blades or anything like that he's not gonna be champion ufc so especially at his age so definitely go for the money fights that was all i was super hyped for on the prelims. You got anything else you wanted to talk about on the prelims? I was impressed with the Chelsea uh, Chandler against Julia Stoyanko. I picked Stoyanko just because she's had that really great luck with the arm bar at the past couple of fights where she was able to lock it in and get the victory. She tried to, but mm-hmm. I felt like she was a little lazy with some of her takedown attempts. It allowed Chelsea to just get on top of her. I didn't realize how much of power that Chelsea had until she was hitting her and you could see like every time she hit Storyanko, just like they said in commentary it was like a deer in the headlight she mm-hmm. she just didn't know what to do defending that power and she just took a lot of shots and I think once she did the arm bar and she didn't get it in and it got reversed I felt like she lost like a quarter of her, of her gas tank trying to do that yep. Chelsea just was managing her punches throwing at her she stuffed two takedowns and got on top of her and then finally Carter with the one shot that kind of like put her down Mm-hmm. And then she just finished her with the ground. She was done before she even got hit, but she had to finish her on, on the mat with the the ground and pound. And then it was just, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what she can do moving forward because we've seen some decent fighters lose to Storyanko and then she kind of handily beat her. So yeah, Chandler looked super dangerous. I, I think this was at a catch weight, right? So she took the fight on 10 days notice. Yeah, she she is a big girl. Dolianko, like you said, it looked like that power really zapped her gas tank for sure. You know, and also her will, I believe. You know, she went for that armbar, like you said, and when once it didn't, she didn't get it. I think, you know, she gave up a little bit or, you know, it sucked yeah. a little bit of that energy out of her and she was in trouble. But yeah, Chandler looks super dangerous. I'm excited to watch her fight again. I didn't know about her for this fight card. So uh, definitely or I, or I knew, Or I knew she's from Stockton. She trains with the Gracies. I think she works with the, the Diaz brothers from time to time. Not that much, mm-hmm. just here and there. That's all I knew about her. Yeah, she's got that mean mug like yeah. a like a Diaz, like a Stockton person, yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to the main card. So Mike Davis had a decision win over Borshev. What'd you think about that one? It was good. He was actually, he's a guy that I actually got to talk to a couple years ago, but literally right before he went on the hiatus, I had him on and talked to him. And he like, this is a guy that always stays in shape. I know he rides the bike like 10 miles a day or 
uh, or a couple times a week. He tries to do, he tries to stay in shape. I knew he was going to be a little bit rusty with the gas tank being out for t- almost 20 mo- uh, months. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Even if you train, there's a difference between training and then fighting right after being off that long. But right, ring rust. Yep. But he, he knew what to do. Like we've seen Borshev, his weakness, even with being with Team Alpha Male, is the takedown defense. He doesn't have the technical ability to use the tools to kind of defend the takedown or get back up uh, like you see you're supposed to keep your hands inside and half the time he's like flaring his hands around hitting him and it's like if he, if he gets his hands inside it allows him to kind of break up a little bit mm-hmm. but he wasn't doing it he got taken <laughs> down what nine times which is a lot i don't expect mike davis i expect mike davis to get maybe one or two takedowns in a fight but not nine times he just kept going back to the well back to the well and anytime they were up i did like the fact that borshev had success in round two when mike davis was taking a breather a little bit from all that round one like takedowns and Grab on. He had success with the jab and the overhand and a couple of the combinations. It's just that he kept on getting bit by the the transitions from head to, to stomach, and then you just get taken down easily. It was it was just between two fights, and you're taken down 16, 17 times. It was mm-hmm. kind of like Kevin Holland esque with how he gets taken down and easily. But at least we've seen Kevin Holland defend it a little bit better or get better. Uh, Borshev hasn't like. When Borchev stands and he doesn't have to deal with that, he's great because he's already got the strike in. But I feel like he needs to like move to like a different camp because he's there and he needs somebody who is more stern and more like on top of him. Like Arrive Faber is a great coach, but he's more kind of lenient and the he's not on top yeah. of you. He's just like, do your thing, do your thing, yada yada yada. But you gotta be. You got to do this. You got to do that. He, I feel like he needs to go to like a Gracie to like harness his, uh, his uh, takedown defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. His, not only his takedown defense, but his, you know, grappling defense when he's on the ground, his inability to really do anything. He looked yeah. like he was struggling a lot on the ground. There's definitely a blueprint out on how to beat him. I know he's a great kickboxer, but he's going to get taken down at will. Like you said, something like 16 times in two fights yeah. is not good enough for the UFC. So I think that was his third loss in a row. I would yeah. imagine he's on uh, the chopping block this week. Second loss in a row. Second loss in a row. Yeah. yeah so he had the knockout and then he lost to him and I think Dewadu. Dewadu. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know if we're going to see him too much longer in the UFC. Maybe he gets one more shot. He's got a lot to improve on it, but he knows what he needs to work on. So. We'll see. Let's move on to the Sadiq Youssef, the quick guillotine over New Haven-born Don Shanus. Talk about quick. Uh, you know, it comes in there. Like, you, the first thing you think of with Sadiq is his boxing. He's very good with his hands. He's very quick. He's had some very good fights. He won the last one. I felt like he beat Arnold Allen. I felt like he had him 2-1 to one by, by a slim margin just because I felt like the, the volume outdid the grappling that Allen did. He actually stuffed him a lot. I felt like he won that. And then, of course, he came back, beat Alex Caceres. So I like that stylistic matchup coming back from a loss and facing a guy who can do a little bit of everything. So he comes in here. Of course, we know he was supposed to fight Giga Chikotsky, and uh, Giga got hurt. Don Sassinus comes in here. A lot of people were saying they wouldn't have been surprised if Don was going to win because of his uh, kickboxing style. I just felt like the striking was going to be too much. And he didn't really have to do that much striking. All he did was the couple, he ran in, did a couple knees to Don because Don clinched up, got him with the one, 
and kind of got him stumbling, and then he just jumped on top of uh, with the with the guillotine. Yeah, he pulled back guard. It was just like boom, like he knew, like it was like he was playing in head to do the knee, and then the transition to the guillotine. It was just so fluid. He had it cranked. They were even like, oh, he doesn't have it in all the way, and then tap. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to see that much from Don. Yeah. You know, he's a local for us, you know, other side of the state for us, yeah. uh, born from New Haven, Connecticut. So Dave and I are both big fans of Glory MMA because we are both big fans of James Krause. So I was pulling for him, even though I'm a Yusuf fan. His striking didn't look that great yeah. to me from what I saw. Once he got clinched in, he threw super wide hooks yeah. to the body, but... You might be able to chalk that up to UFC jitters, you know, super early. You know, he, got, he, just got caught, he just got caught with a good shot. Yeah, uh, so. That's why I put it that way. No matter what you do, if, if the guy gets the perfect shot at the perfect time, it, uh, there's nothing you can do about it. And right. I'm with you about glory. I'm a big James Crafts guy. I've been in, interviewed three of his fighters already. They all preach the same thing with him. I applaud him for retired early and then to transition to being a head coach mm-hmm. and it, it seems like he's it, it doesn't seem like like he's like one of the guys where it's like okay all of his guys are just win 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 but he has so many fighters it feels like they come to him for a reason because he's so good at uh, just coaching he has over i think he has over 15 fighters on under under him right and i feel like if you listen to him in between rounds you know he has a very personal connection with each fighter too so i think that might be part of it as well you know he's able to connect with these fighters especially because he was in the ufc and you know he has a great understanding of the game so oh yeah we're huge fans of james cross yeah that's something mike tyson talked about too like being a coach while he's like someone was talking about his his knowledge and he said i could never be that he says because to be a great coach too you have to be able to motivate other people mm-hmm. you know and that's i mean we've seen it where different coaching sometimes people will give you know they'll start yelling at their fighters right and you know like they'll get back in there and that works for some people some people they that doesn't work with you got to break it down technically or you know they just give them honestly like okay we're back against all or sometimes you see coaches trying to lie a little bit oh you're doing great because <laughs> they need to hear that you know and then there's just fighters that respond better to somebody that knows that their coach did it and he went through the fire just like they did so it's like oh he's telling me to get in the guard to do this and he's done this in the past i'm definitely gonna listen to him because he knows what he's talking about he he was here a couple years ago compared to maybe a guy that's just picking it up because maybe he trained it but he didn't fight it you're gonna be more inclined to listen to the guy that has has the experience Mm -hmm. who's fought for the company already and can Rory tell you the ins and outs of Rory sticky situations and I think that's why he gets in there and that's why a lot of the fighters actually go with the game plan of he he actually is a little different than some he's the one that watches the fights and does all the the, the notes and then tells them what to do where some of the coaches have their fighter watch it with them and take the notes but the fighters have so much trust in him that they allow him to do everything for them Right, that says a lot about the chemistry that you have yeah. with a head coach, for sure. Barcelo's decision win over Trevin Jones. Bantamweight matchup. What about that one? Trevin Jones just seems so gun-shy. Like, yeah, like they mentioned many times, he's a counterfighter. But early on, like, he did pretty good, like, just uh, pushing forward. He just wasn't thrown enough. He just wasn't thrown at all. And then when he threw, he would miss. And he kind of allowed Barcelos to land those combinations here and there. He was laying those leg kicks to the body. He would take chances throwing leg kicks to the head because he knew that Trevin Jones wasn't 
Theron being aggressive with the counterattack. So he was taking more shots here and there. And that's basically how it worked for all three rounds. And then he had big success grappling up and pushing him up against the cage. And one of the things I liked was the fact that he did that. And then he got the leg trip. I think it was round two it was. He got the leg trip. And then he just, he tried to finish him off, but he wasn't being crazy about it. It was just, okay, I'm going to do it. Throw here, throw there. Not trying to kill my energy. And I think Jones just landed maybe a total of 15 to 18 strikes. It was just, mm-hmm. it wasn't enough to do anything in the fight. It, it just wasn't there. I don't know if it was the fact that Barsos just was able to get him every time before he could get anything started, or he just didn't like the matchup. Yeah, Barsos has number the whole fight. Yeah, so what I put in my notes was urgency. That's what he needs, you know? And, and he talked about how the judges don't know how to score a fight if there's counter-striking. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're going to be a counter striker, you need your opponent to throw punches at you, right? So the way you bait him in would be with feints. And I didn't see him throwing nearly enough feints. You know, if you're not going to be the one pressing forward, you have to get your opponent to press forward. So I think feints, a lot more feints would serve him in the future. So, And then you're supposed to, like, when your opponent throws, you're supposed to throw back, like, right away. Right. It seemed like he was getting ready to, and then he would just pull back. He was getting gun shy. It's like... You got to throw back right away. Even if you know you're not going to hit, it's just to have them think that, okay, he's going to throw back and it's going to make them think a little bit more. And maybe they're not going to be as aggressive anymore. Maybe they'll be a little bit slower, a little bit more methodical with their shots, but it's at least going to give you a chance to think of a new game plan while they're trying to deal with you. But he didn't do any of that. He just was content, send back, throw mm-hmm. maybe once every now and then it just wasn't enough he, like, right. he just didn't out put enough output out there and that's kind of the problem that a lot of counter punchers have every now and then they have a fight like that where they just don't do enough yeah too much time spent too much time looking for the perfect shot which you know yeah. like you said counterfighters can get caught doing that so you know hopefully maybe a team change might be helpful for him because you know his coaches weren't on him enough i don't think they need to instill that urgency in him so let's move on to randy brown gets a decision over francisco trinaldo 44 years old trinaldo (laughs) yeah they made they made the point to talk about how he fought six years beforehand against paul felder and paul felder said he looks the same way then that he does now which is exactly i liked how trinaldo pushed the pace early but there was uh, one thing i I saw, I liked, and then I hated that he uh, went away from it was that left kick to the inner leg of, of Brandy Brown early. He was doing it early and often. Yeah, they were landing hard. Yeah, too. yeah. And you could see with how Brown likes to switch from Orthodox to Southpaw that it was hurting him, but he stayed in Orthodox. But he went away from it, and I do know that one of the big things was the the T kick to the face that Randy Brown started to do. They mentioned it like he was using it more like a jab where you do that. And then he followed it up with the overhand, right. Mm-hmm. And that combination had a lot of success in there. And late first round, like early second round, Trinado just went away from the kick and was just, okay, I'm going to just push you and try and land that overhand left shot. And just the distance game was just too much for him in the first two rounds uh, because Randy Brown, of course, has that long body. He's moving a lot better. I think the move to uh, Philly 
was a big plus for him. He's been working with, uh, of course, Gracie and Martinez, BJJ now. We're outside Philly, so he said that that was a big thing. One of his main training partners fought last week, and Joe Pfeiffer, that's one of his main training partners. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how like they've helped each other so much the last year of training, and it's been a, a big plus for him. And you see the the dividends of it with the grappling and just the distance management, able to throw a lot of those different leg kicks that he throws. I think early on, before he made the move, he would do a lot more grappling and try to take you down. I then use his striking secondary. Now he's kind of flipped it where he's using the the, the leg kicks more, following it up with the like nice combination overhand shot, and then going for the takedowns if he has a chance to. And it's allowing him to like up the volume, push the pace. He's not wasting too much energy as he was. He did look kind of hurt, I think, at the beginning of the third round. No, at the second, he got caught with a shot. But he recovered well, and then he did decent in the third round. But he, he had that fight first two rounds. He, he poured in more volume. Tornado really only had those power shots that he connected every now and then, like those four or five shots that he did. But he got taken down, and that's that's one thing I liked. I liked the reversal of your game plan, going from grappler to striker to now striker with grappling tendencies. I'm sorry. I just wanted to ask, Chevy, you can go. What do you think's next for Randy Brown? Well, he's on a win streak. So in the range today, he's at now because he's, he's had some good wins in the last couple of fights. I'm going to actually bring it up because I know he's on like a three fight. He beat Toronto. He beat Caleb Williams. I like that's one that I didn't expect to get. He beat Jared Gooden and he beat Alex Oliveira. And that's right before Luke So it's like, you would think that maybe he'd have a sh- like a fight where he would get a chance to go into the top 15, like maybe like a 15 to 20 range mm-hmm. of fight now with the, the fourth fight win streak. That's what you see with guys now. They have to, even after a loss, like if he lost to Luke and then come in there, he's beaten Barbarina before Mickey Gall. His only losses are to Luke, Bar- Luke Nico Price, and below Muhammad. Right, uh, tough the, guys. The tough guys that are right around that range in the top 15, the top 20 range. And it's like maybe it's his chance to try and crack the top 15 now. With the he was winning that team. Nico Price fight yeah. too. But he got knocked out with that hammer fist from the ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he even looked decent against Luke in that fight, but then he got KO'd in the second. Like he was doing good in the first, but then Luke took over in the second. So super dangerous for sure. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the main event. Jan Xiaonan gets a majority decision over Dern. What did you think about this one? There's a little bit of controversy with the scoring. How'd you see this one going? I just watched it right before it came on. So I watched it. It's very fresh in my mind. Like I didn't get a chance to watch it live. And then when I looked at the at the score, the, the stat card, because I kind of like to compare watching the fight to maybe like looking at the stats and see if the stats tell a different story than the, if you're watching it, your eyes do. And of course you see Dern outstruck her by a hundred strikes, but then watching it, I see, oh, 100 of those 200 strikes on round five so yeah of course it's like okay i take out round five out of it i already gave that to dern so then i just look at the first four rounds round one was close i uh, the only times that dern had like shots in went was when Jan was moving backwards instead of the circular motion she was able to get to her and kind of take her down 
or put her in positions where she would drop guard and pull her down. But I felt like Jan landed enough power shots. She, I liked the fact that she was using a lot more leg kicks in this fight than she was in the, the past. That's a thing that she probably added for the last two fights uh, because I know she did it against Marina mm-hmm. in, in the last fight, and then she just stopped doing it, and then that's kind of what cost her that fight, in my opinion, was not using enough of the leg kicks. But she used the leg kicks all five rounds, and then whenever she circled, she did a great job uh, that way. And I think the big thing with this fight was just the defend the takedowns. Yeah, I thought... So I would have given it a draw, technically, because I would have given Dern a 10-8 round on that fifth round. So I would have scored it a draw, but I don't think it's some egregious mistake to have given Jan. I can see it going that way for sure. But I think the story of this fight really, for me, is Jan's grappling defense because... Going into this fight, I thought that if the fight got to the ground, Dern was going to submit her within a minute. I think right. I said within a minute. Yeah, I, I thought that she wasn't as urgent trying to take her down. It was more, she was. It was more strategic instead of more aggressive. It was like, okay, I'm going to drop guard in a second. She poured her down, and that's what gave her that one submission lock on her that she had on her for like over, for over a minute. She did the same thing in the fourth. Mm-hmm. There was one point where I felt like she didn't take advantage. She had the leg of Jan. She had it up, and I felt like she could have swiped her Swip, other yeah. leg and then dropped her down. But Jan had very good balance there. Dern looked like she was getting a little bit tired anyway, and she just waited too long to do it. And by the time she went to try and get it, Jan got her foot down and got out of the position. If she would have gotten that, I felt like she would have had a good ch- chance of getting a guillotine or dropping on top and throwing some ground and pound. And that was a missed opportunity because I feel like, I think it, that was round three, and I gave that to Jan with the striking. Because I gave, it was Jan, then the second round I gave the Dern. I gave third to Jan. It could have been Dern if she got the takedown. Four was Jan again, and then five was Dern. And these 10-8s, I think it's so inconsistent how they do it. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'll see a, a fight like this where it's 88-5, to five and they do it 10-9. But then I see a fight where it's maybe 35-2, to two and somebody's it gets up, and they score that at 10-8. It's like, at what point do you get more consistent with it, and you change the, the scoring aspect to make it a legit 10-8? Because... It's like it's so random. Like I'm like I don't know what a ten eight is anymore or ten nine. I just don't know. Right, and it depends on what commission you're at and everything, because yeah. even that is different. Yeah, so I don't know. I I thought that, like I said, I was impressed with Jan's overall game plan. I think she's with Team Alpha Male, so uh, you know they had a ready, great game plan going into it. Great execution by her. Great submission defense. I felt bad for Dern. You know, not her best showing for sure, but mm-hmm. all credit to Jan. Yep. But she did mention that you know not having the fans there. You know, not to bring it back around to. <laughs> Zuckerberg, but uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. <laughs> did, did affect her and, and i can imagine you know you're a cage fighter you're a modern day gladiator do you think that that's a, a big blow i, I just want to say something this because i we've heard fighters say the opposite too though that it's nice not to have the fans so i think it really de- depends on the fighter itself and at the end of the day you know god be it i'm not in a cage but it's like any job at that point it's on you to get the job done right i mean so credit to Jan. she was the better fighter on this day i think and i was pulling for Dern. i thought Dern would be you know a lot more like a, just way better on the ground mm-hmm. you know 
what we saw. And but I mean, to me, when you say things like, okay, you know, you had an injury. You know, you, okay, you had an injury. You know, that could affect the fight. You were sick. But with things like, well, there were no fans. Yeah, it can affect the fight, but that's more of a mental game, I feel like. Yeah, and that's yeah. on you to, you know, figure that out. And, and I look at her last fight. Uh, I, I feel like Tessa Torres beat her in that fight, but they gave the turn because of the grappling. That was also at a fight night UFC Apex fight there, where it was a similar thing. That there wasn't that many fans there, but she was more aggressive in that fight with her takedowns. She got outstriked in that one, but she outgrappled Torres in a lot of situations. And I feel like Torres is going to push the pressure more with her hands than Jan is. It's just that Jan was able to create a little bit of distance with the leg kicks. Mm-hmm. And when she circled around, it was a lot harder for Dern to like think of way entryways into the takedown. And maybe that's why we saw the unusual methods to try and get her down. They like drop it into the guard or she fell down, like throwing a kick. And then she just stayed down and grabbed the leg to try and pull her down. Like maybe she just was getting frustrated with the, the, the movement of Jan. Like, we don't know until you ask her about that, what happened, and she might not even give it up right away. But I felt like maybe that was an issue she had. Guys, I think it's time we get ready to wrap this up. So, Dan, before I have Chevy tell us what we got coming up next, since you're our guest, tell everybody where they can find you and some of the stuff you may have coming up. Yeah, of course, at Cage by IQ. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at CageIQ. I'm, of course, on Instagram as well, CageMyIQ. And then I go whenever I go live, I go live on YouTube and Twitch. You can find my Twitch at CageMyIQ. And then, of course, YouTube, www.youtube.com slash C slash CageMyIQ. I got a couple of shows coming up. I'm doing a, a New Japan one tomorrow for Declaration of Power. I'm also in the middle of a scheduling interview with Chris Barnett. You know, uh, that's going to be a great boy. He's boy. Yep. I'm talking to him right now. I just got to, he's got to wait for an opening and we'll see what days work best for us. I got that. And then of course, I'm going to be recording fight night uh, for next week, sometime this weekend. And I'll probably have that preview out on Monday. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, and Chevy, before Dan gets out, why don't you tell us what we got coming up next, too? So tomorrow, actually, we're going to be recording a podcast with our first LFA fighter interview. So that, that'll be Mateo Gonzalez. Tomorrow we'll be live at 6 p.m. Got a fight um, coming up in two weeks, too. Yep, he's got a fight coming up. Yep. He's currently 3-0, and so we're looking forward to talking to him. So October 15th, we're going to be previewing UFC Fight Night, Rasa versus Arroyo. October 22nd, huge UFC 280 pay-per-view, Oliveira versus Makachev. <laughs> and then October 29th, UFC Fight Night, Cater versus Allen. And then tonight, it's it's got to be live right now. It's after 7 p.m. We're, we're airing Cage IQ's interview of current UFC flyweight Miranda Maverick. Yep. So for the next couple of weeks, you'll see some Cage My IQ interviews on our YouTube. And eventually we're going to see some working fans interviews coming up with uh, Cage My IQ as well. So Yeah, probably the first one will probably be, like I said, depend on when I get a chance to either this Friday or maybe I'll do Monday. So cross promotion, a little more wrestling on Cage My IQ, a little more MMA on the working fans. Dan, always a pleasure to have you on and talk MMA with you and wrestling and everything. We'll have to have you back again soon. Absolutely. You bring a lot, a lot of insight. Maybe we'll do something for the big pay-per-view coming up. 
Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and, and maybe I'll have you on my show as well, do a little Absolutely. bit of wrestling or MMA, vice versa. Absolutely. All right, guys, as always, it's a pleasure. We want to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor on the show, 482 Designs. That is F-O-U-R, the number is 82 Designs, 482 Designs. You can find them on Facebook by looking up F-O-U-R, 82 Designs, at F-O-U-R, 82 Designs on Instagram. And if you want to email them, go to F-O-U-R, 82 Designs, at gmail.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be rolling out some high-quality T-shirts and stickers that were just done by the sponsor. Please check them out for any of your screen printing needs. First off, it's a light years better than our first one. Also, it divides the washer and dryer. They look good, and they're good quality. Nice. And those stickers before Paco chewed them up were amazing. And luckily, we'll be getting some more in, hopefully, before we start selling them to fans. But that's F-O-U-R-8-2 Designs. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Working Fans Combat Cast. And today, we got a special guest, 3-0, Bantamweight, the mighty Mateo Gonzalez. And he's got a fight coming up October 14th. Mateo, thank you for doing the interview, man. How are you feeling? Man, I appreciate I appreciate you guys having me on, man. I feel I feel amazing. I feel blessed to be here. You know, I'm hungry. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> hey, right off the bat, what got you into MMA? Like, what got you like as a fan? What got you interested in this? Man, what got me as a fan? Man, every time there'd be a big pay per view UFC match, we used to go to my uncle, my uncle Jimmy's house. Man, he'd always buy the pay per views. We used to watch the Chuck Liddells, the the Rampage Jacksons, you know, the George St. Pierre's, BJ Penn, and like all those all those big name fighters. It came Velasquez, Brock Lesnar's man. Uh, we used to go over there every every time it'd be at a big event. You know, all my family would get together and, and we'd always just you know watch fights together. That's kind of how we bonded, you know, growing up. Yeah, so I got a chance to watch some of your fights earlier on. You seem pretty well rounded. Do you have a favorite discipline that you like to go to? I started off boxing whenever I was uh, whenever I was a kid. I was about you know thirteen or so. The boxing was my first love, and then once I transitioned to jujitsu, man, jujitsu is my it's my bread and butter now. Man, that's like my biggest my, that's my biggest strength. You know, for the longest time, that's what I that's what I lacked. When I linked up with John Moore. You know, he, he turned me into a, a jujitsu and wrestling machine. And man, now I, I love it. That's awesome, man. Now, how did you end up breaking in? Did you, were you in contact with John or did you know somebody? Like, how did that start? Man, so what happened, man, I was liking jujitsu the early part of my career. You know, I was mainly just known as a, as a striker. And, you know, I took, I took two losses back to back. And, you know, I, I kind of, I was kind of upset on how my career, my amateur career was going. So I took, I took a year off. I was young, so I went to I tried college out, and I really didn't like it too much. And my former coach, he had told me T.J. Wahlberger's father-in-law is going to start teaching at the gym. Mm. And of course, you know, me growing up, I used to watch T.J. You know, fighting the UFC and all that. And for me, you know, to be able to to meet his father-in-law, I was like, man, I'm I'm coming back to the gym this week. And then I dropped out of college and I started training again. And you know, John John sparked that uh, that fire back in into me. And it was just all just you know word of mouth and how I met him when I first. Went back to the gym. I saw he was, you know, I really the only time I've seen John was on TV, and then I saw a short little little plump man in in the ring, you know, getting a getting a fighter ready for a for an upcoming fight. You know, John John welcomed me with open arms, and you know we've been together ever since. We've been going strong for about five and a half six years now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's an important you know relationship to have for sure. 
Oh yeah, man, that that that, that coach and student relationship that we have, man, he treats me like uh, like a nephew, and you know, I treat him like an uncle. You know, John John can tell me to do something, man. Like he can just tell me to do a move, and you know, I'll yeah. get it right every time. We were just talking about this the other day. I think we heard the quote from Mike Tyson or someone said that, like, you know, it's like one thing to be one of the great fighters, but to be a coach, you have to have that ability to motivate and make that connection. It sounds like he's got that with you. Yeah, man, to be honest, like, that's why I kind of see John, man. He's he's my custody motto. Mm. And, you know, we, we, we and him just have that, we have that bond. He can give me a look and, you know, I can already tell what he wants me to go out there and do. Every time I go out into a fight, you know, he, he always he always tells me, he's like, man, this reminds me of the time that, uh, for my last fight, I was walking out and he's like, man, you know what this reminds me of? And I was like, what's up, man? He's like, whenever TJ fought Mike Stump in the UFC, he's like, go out there and, and do it. And we'll, we'll be back in the UFC, you know, sometime soon. Awesome. So, yeah. So speaking of the UFC, do you have, you know, a goal, a, a career goal you're going towards? Would you like to get into the UFC or Bellator? Is, is that the end game for you? Man, uh, so so right now I'm 3-0. And then after next week, I'm taking I'm taking this dude out, man. I'm not, I'm not looking past him, but I, I just know I have the skill set to beat him. But the ultimate goal in all this is, you know, to make it to one of the big shows, whether it be Bellator or the UFC, whichever one, you know, comes knocking first. Either either way, I can see myself being a champion in both organizations. You know, I'm, I'm a big 135er. You know, I really, these 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 guys that I'm watching nowadays, man, they they're lacking the jujitsu. And uh, the wrestling aspects of all, everyone thinks they're a striker nowadays, man. And I feel as though I have what it takes to go in there and just, you know, work my way up through the rankings, whether it be UFC or Bellator. I'm, I'm ready for which, whatever uh, motion calls me first. And I'm staying ready. i am never get out of shape. I'm always in the gym working and it's improving on uh, all my weaknesses. And man, I'm just a workhorse, man. I, I, I love this sport. I love this game. And I can't, I can't stop because I know there's someone out there, you know, working twice as hard as me. And I got to work three times as hard as them so I can just, Go in there and just make them look as average as possible. Yeah, Absolutely, championship mentality right there. That's yes, what I sir. Like to hear. Hell yeah. yeah. I think might have been Connor and maybe Michael Jordan too. Both said something about it. it's like not just about like the skill. It's like I'm more obsessed with this than anybody else. And I feel yeah. like I see that passion coming from you right now, man. Yeah, I'm obsessed, man. My family, my girlfriend get mad at me from time to time, man, because all I want to do is just be out there just training. So I got to <laughs> slow things down. So I got to slow things down a little bit and make time for all them. Absolutely balanced. But I, I got to ask you. So that's like my next question. Training. How about some shine on who are some of these training partners you have here that work with you and push you? Man, so I, I got a, I got some some young, hungry, talented fighters, and I have some uh, some veterans that train with me. So uh, my main training partner for this fight camp, his name's Lee Fergoso, and he just fought last week for uh, Peak Fighting. And he's supposed to have fought for a belt, man, but he missed weight by I think a pound or two, so he didn't he didn't win his belt. But uh, he went out there and won first round rear naked choke, and he's a four and zero now as an amateur, and he's working his way up through the through the amateur rankings. You know, he's a tough, solid teammate to have. You wouldn't expect you wouldn't you just you know if you just see this guy on the street you'd be like man this guy looks like some like some nerdy dude man but <laughs> man behind all that he's a he's a talented he's a hell of a fighter and I'm I'm excited to see where his career is going and another teammate that I have his name's John Giannis and uh, he's in my weight class and he, he's like a brother to me he fights for Fury uh, fighting championship and man I think he's a knockout of the night winner two time fight of the night winner yeah one time knockout of the night winner. And a two-time fight of the night winner and solid. He's well-rounded. You know, he has that same fire and spark that I have. And he's like a brother to me. Another training partner that I have, he's a heavyweight dropping down to lightweight. And he's uh, Heath Carroll. And that dude's like a brother to me, man. Like, he's always in the gym with me whenever Lee's not there. And he's always just, you know, grinding with me. 
And then another one, Lewis Luna. You know, Lewis has fought, you know, all over the all over the world. He's a West Texas legend. And man, I, I, I'm trying to think of some, some more. I'm sorry if I can't remember the names right now. That's man. all right, man. You got quite an array of trading partners. I mean, you know, it sounds like you got different people pushing you. You got heavy yeah. veterans. I'm here at four and zero. You're three and zero. So yeah, you know, it's great. Yeah, it's important to have those guys pushing you, you know, to get you to the next level for sure. Oh man, those dudes, those dudes beat my ass, man, just about every day, and I'm, and I appreciate, I appreciate like all the work that they give me. Yeah, iron sharpens iron, right? Yeah, for sure. So you're fighting in LFA right now, right? What do you think separates you from the other LFA bantamweights? I obviously you you have you know that mentality we're talking about. You know, you got a passion for the sport. What else do you think separates you? Man, what, what separates me from what I've seen so far from uh, some of their bantamweights, you know, it looks like they don't, they don't, this is me probably just being biased, but like I, I, I can tell whenever people don't train as hard as me. I can tell these guys are kind of like part timers, man, like they're only in the gym whenever they need to get ready for a fight. Whereas me, I'm in the gym every single day, five days out the week, sometimes even six, man. And this is whenever I'm not even in fight camp, I'm doing this on the on the daily and then you know i just see man these guys like i said they think they're all strikers man but they, they're lacking that jujitsu discipline and that wrestling discipline and that's where i'm uh, i'm coming to expose all of them you know there's a 135 on the, the fight card that i'm on lfa 144 there's a there's a title fight going on so i'm gonna have to watch these guys real, real carefully because you know i'm gunning for that i'm going gunning for that that lfa title first and i'm just i'm just watching these Dudes, I, I'm not truly too sure on too sure on what their names are, but you know I'm I'm, wa- I'm watching them because I'm coming to take that belt away from whoever wins it. You know, I just I don't know, man. I just see myself just beating out all the all the competition. Like these guys don't they just don't train as hard as me, man. They, they don't have the skill set that I have. They don't have the mindset that I have. You know, they're not disciplined, and I'm ready to expose every single one of them. How do you uh, like on the mental game? Are there things you do to focus mentally? So, like, if you're in adverse situations in a fight, are there things that you guys do in the gym or you do to help prepare you for that? For the mental, for the mental aspect, there's a lot of things that go on in the gym, you know, that help me out with that. Uh, like for my my last LFA fight, I got put in a darts choke for about maybe a minute, and man, my teammates always snag me. They always snag me up in bad submissions like that, and. It's my it's my duty as a fighter to, you know, weather the storm, you know, calm myself down and just, you know, figure out on how to, you know, get myself out of those bad positions. And then, you know, my last fight too, man, like I I got clipped pretty good in the first round, first opening minute, and I had to calm myself down and just, you know, weather the storm like like I always do. I didn't really I got I got clipped, but I never got hurt and I just had to, you know, wait out the storm. Dude came out real hard and I just had to you know, t- take my time with certain things. And then the fight before that, I fought uh, this this dude, Moses Oropesa, and he'd headbutted me in the first round and split my nose in half. And, of course, when some people see blood, they uh, they freak out. But I just had tunnel vision that whole fight. The dude split my nose in half, cut my eye, cut my, my eye open. But uh, I just had to just keep on pushing no matter what because I'm not, I, don't, I, don't, I don't train all this hard, man, to go out there and, you know, give up and lose. It's just something that – uh. I just, I just can't do, man. I can't allow another person to out, to outwork me and outdo me. You know, I see myself as a champion, so I gotta, you gotta show them, you know, that champion mentality even in the later rounds or even when things get hard. Yeah, that fight I just watched recently. That was a great fight. It seemed like, you know, your hard work in the gym really paid off on that one. I felt like you were pushing the pace, you know, really pressuring him, and you know it worked on him and he faded pretty early on you were able to get him out of there yeah man it was that was that was a really tough fight because 
you know, we fought in Texarkana. We had to drive. It was a 10-hour drive to get to Dallas because the roads were frozen over. So I was having a – I really didn't have a – I had about – couple hours to cut weight man because uh we didn't get in we didn't get into dallas until about 10 o'clock 12 o'clock and then the next morning we had to get to weigh-ins so that was we kind of had a, a bad cut and then uh i was fighting injured and then you know just going through all the things that i had to, I had to go through in that fight you know getting my nose busted only having only using pretty much one hand and then you know dude had a lot of hype behind him too he was a, oh, yeah. a former champion you know going pro the crowd wasn't with me commentators they weren't no, with was, me. commentators definitely were not with you yeah so uh, that was the first thing i noticed watching yeah, that man, fight they wanted him to win so bad man to make a successful pro debut off me but you know i, I just i just couldn't allow it man i couldn't allow myself to have that defeat on my record you know your stocks go up you know the, the more wins you get your stock goes up and you know that that zero behind my behind my my winning record means a lot to me and i just have to just keep on uh keep on trucking so i can get to the to the big shows eventually yep yeah i was super impressed with that fight especially like you said with that everything going against you you know to overcome those things so early in your pro career I, you know as a great sign going forward for sure for adversity yeah. so it was, it was a tough one man but we got him out of there yeah yeah that was a good one so are there any dream matchups you see you know you could go back in time. You talked about, you know, you followed the UFC for a long time. Is, it, is there any other weights you know, that you really wish you could get in there with? Past, <laughs> present, you know. Some of the past fighters that I wish I could get in there with would, would have to be, uh, man, Jose Aldo. He just formerly, uh, he just recently retired. I, man, I'd like to get a crack at him. Yeah. But I can't anymore, man. He just retired. But uh, that, that'd that be one fight that I'd, I'd love to love to have. Man, Dominic Cruz. I've always been a Dominic Cruz fan. and Oh, yeah. He's still active right now, man. Hopefully, I can I can get in there and you know get him before he goes out. Man, uh, I'd like to fight Aljamain Sterling, Peter Yan, and Sean O'Malley. Yeah, let's see. Uh, there's a there's, oh Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse. Yeah, man, uh, Hiroguchi fights in Ryzen. Yep, man, I want to fight. I want to fight Sergio Pettis. I think that'd be a really a really fun one. Yeah, I think that'd be a great matchup watching your guys' styles for sure. Man, he's a he's a little bit shorter, man, but he's real crafty, and you know he's a Bellator champ right now. Man, I'd like to fight T.J. Dillashaw too, man. I want to yeah. fight all these, I want to fight all these guys, man. Yeah, we <laughs> say it all the time. The bantamweight division is just like an embarrassment of riches when it comes to like how many good one thirty five pounders are. Which I think is great. Like it's like for you, you that means there's a lot of good people you're gonna get to train with, work with, and you'll just get better. And what an opportunity. Yeah, man, like, I mean, just think, think about, like, how far the UFC's came in, like, the last 10 years, you know. The bandweight division wasn't really too stacked like it is right now. Like, all these fighters have improved over the years, man, and now they're all they're all killers. They're all, you know, well-rounded. But uh, that, that's what excites me, man, because, you know, I don't I don't want any easy fights. I want to fight the best of the best. That's the whole reason why I got in this sport, man. I want to I want to I want to fight the Jose. I want to fight the T.J. Dillashaw's, the Aljamain Sterling's, the the Peter Yans. I want to fight all those guys, man. And you know, in order to to be the best, you got to beat the best. Now I'll, I'll go through all those guys, man, and you know, take them all out if need be. Where did you get your work ethic from? You feel like, or maybe from a few people, like because you got a strong work ethic. It sounds like. So my brother, my brother Jesse, he uh he used to he used to fight as an amateur with me starting out. And man, he's the one that got me into, you know, training, like boxing and all that. And I always used to just come home from school. I was in middle school, probably. And I'd come into my room. You know, the first thing you do is you want to just want to just go home and play video games. Well, he'd be in my room doing push-ups and sit-ups. And then he'd be like, man, you want to go out for a run? I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess let's go. And, you know, we'd go get a run in. He'd be like, man, you want to get some boxing in? 
like, heck yeah, let's get some boxing in. And we do like a whole five hour workout. And I think that's where I get, you know, my work ethic from just, just seeing him. Even like whenever I go to track practice in middle school, we used to take a bus to our high school. And I'd always see, I'd always see my brother. He'd be, you know, warming up right next to like a fence by himself. And then next thing you know, he'd be out running by himself. And I'm like, man, why is he, why does he do stuff like that, man? He's, he's a little crazy. Yeah, man, I get my work ethic from my brother. And I guess my, my dad and my mom, my, my dad and my mom are both really hard workers, you know, just seeing them, you know, still out, you know, working, working their jobs you know my, my dad's a workhorse man my dad will work all week he'll get home on the weekend and just, you know work some more he's he ain't got no chilling though man he just like he just loves to work and i kind of just see that and i'm like dang man i can't let this old man outdo me <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah that's, that's kind of where i get my work ethic from is those three people right there it's awesome you know obviously great work ethic you you know, you love being in the gym all the time, right? Well, you know, you got to rest sometimes, right? It's part of the game. So you got any other hobbies outside of training and fighting? And I'm barely starting to find hobbies that I that I enjoy. Like, it, it's taking a while because, man, that's, that's what I live for. I just eat, sleep, and train. But uh, one a couple of hobbies that I've acquired over these last couple of months, man, I like to, I, I got a new dog. I, had, I got a bully and his name's Bruce. And I like to take him out on walks. It might sound a little boring, man, but you know, going out with, going out in like nature and all that, going out into the boonies, the country, kind of just leave my phone behind and just, you know, let my dog just run loose. And that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I wind down a little bit. And then, uh, of course, I like to spend time with my girlfriend. You know, me and me and her, we just chill out, watch movies, play video games, go out for coffee dates. I like to hang out with their family too. They're all real nice and uh, welcoming towards me. And man, every now and then I like to go. I like to go out too. You know, go out and have a few drinks with my friends, catch up with them, and it's kind of just you know what I what I like to do: spend time with family. You know, play board games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my kind of guy, man. <laughs> yep. Yep. So yeah. just nice hang out, boy. We don't need a yeah, yeah man. Like I'm just a, a normal chill dude. Man. I like to play video games every now and then. Yeah. What games do you like I, to play? What games you play? Game? Man, I'm waiting for uh, Modern Warfare 2 to come out. I'm ready for that one. Man, I play a lot of man. I got a Nintendo Switch, so uh, I got back into Mario Odyssey. I haven't beat that game yet. Oh uh, yeah. I play a lot of Smash Bros. Whenever yeah. I'm around my brothers and all that. What other games? What other games? Man, Red Dead Redemption 2. I was playing that for a while. I beat it, and I was like, dang it, man. I was going to do all the side missions. And what other games do I like? Man, I jumped back into Cold War because uh, I really haven't played a Call of Duty in a while. I'm waiting for that Modern Warfare 2 to come out. So yeah, I got to gotta shake that rust off, right? Yeah, I was like, I can't get Modern Warfare 2, man. You know, just have a sucky KDR, so I got to get that <laughs> good at it. Yeah, yeah. Bonus question. Favorite movie? Oh, man, can I do That's like a, a top tough question? Yeah, yeah. top five. Yeah, you can tell me some five at you. Yeah. All right, all right, top five, Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, hell yeah. That's a great movie. <laughs> man, that's one, of, that's one of the greatest movies ever. I don't care. Yeah, who underrated. Kung Fu Hustle is the, man, that's the best damn movie ever. That's a great movie. Uh, <laughs> Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Man, like Paid in Full. That's, that's a really good one. Man, man, any Adam Sandler movie, you got to go with you gotta go yeah. with Adam Sandler, man. Oh, okay. Okay. I love it. Let's <laughs> see. Uh, dang, what's another one that I like? Man, dang it, dang it. <laughs> man, you, can't, you can't go wrong with uh, with Scarface, man. There you go. Yeah, we threw some extra questions at you here. It's not all fights. We got to relax you before the big fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one last thing that I guess anything you want to talk coming up, favorite, uh, any, I'm, I'm stuck with favorite. <laughs> any, uh, 
promotion for anything else you got coming up, your fight, you want to tell people about that, and maybe any sponsors you want to shout out. Go right ahead. The floor is yours. All right. October 14th at uh, the Sanford Pentagon in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'm fighting Adamu Issa. You know, he's got a lot of hype behind his name, and I plan on just going out there and just, you know, making him look as average as possible. I'm in this game for one thing, that's to be, to be the greatest of all time. And in order to get to that position, I have to take out the man that's in front of me. I'm not looking past him by any way shape or form, but got to go in there and uh, rip his head off, man, and bring it back home with me to Texas. You know, I'm as humble as they come. I'm a workhorse. You know, I got a lot of great people behind me. I have the whole city of Lubbock behind me, Loveland, Texas, Plainview, Amarillo, you know, Earth, Texas, Heart, Texas. You know, this guy's only got, you know, a, a whole city behind him. Man, I got I got towns and surrounding areas behind me. And, you know, I, I got to take him out. After that, I just got to just keep on working my way up. Sponsors, I'd like to shout out uh, Klein Electric, Perseverance Athletic Apparel. Uh, dang. Uh, Cody, Cody, uh, Cody's Coins and Bullion. Uh, Idaloo Dental for helping me out with my mouthpiece. Man, oh, out of this world, uh, Gunshot. Man, there's a few other ones in there that I really, you know, I really can't remember right now. But, man, it, all of y'all have helped me out so much. And I, I really just appreciate y'all rocking with me. Man, if you guys can tune in, I just plan on take, taking this dude out, man, and just making him look as average as possible. I'd like to I'd like to shout out my gym as well. You know, Victory Combat Sports Academy in Lubbock, uh, Lubbock, Texas, Woodrow Road. You know, you guys have treated me really really well these last six seven years man i i can't can't thank y'all enough man for just you know rocking with me and this all, all my friends family you know everyone from around here thank, thank y'all so much awesome man and uh, hey one more question because we had somebody in the comments i thought maybe you'd like this one favorite fight song to come out to oh man i've had the same walkout song since i was 18 years old man it's kodak black Lockjaw. And I that, that that fight song, man, it, it can't change. That's that's history right there, man. Every time I hear that that walkout is, you know, it's just uh, nostalgic. I just think about uh, my first my first time walking out to the cage, and I was 18 years old. Yeah, it locks you in. I'm 24 right now, man, and you know, I'm only I'm only getting older in this game. I love it. All right, Mateo, thank you so much for your time. Stick all around for a little bit, but thank you so much for uh, doing this, and we appreciate you, man. And good luck the 14th. We know you got this. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 